Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hello, I'm Laura Brooks, volunteer with Philia, and today I'm here with Nancy. Nancy is one of the surviving sisters, and we're here today to hear about Nancy's journey of her life. Hello, as we said, I'm Nancy. I am 63 years of age. Uh, I'm a surviving sister, and uh, my abuse started at a very early age. I was a normal child till I was eight year old, and then I was raped by my father. Um, it was hard because who, as an eight year old child, who do you tell? Um, so therefore, you just think it's normal, you think it's happening to everybody. Yeah. Of course it interfered with uh, my behaviour. Um, I had three brothers so I couldn't tell them anything. My mother had already left. Uh, she just disappeared. So he, the father, was one of these that he was on the buses um, and he was here there. So we ended up living with him, then on to my grandma. And my grandma was all for my father, so you couldn't say anything against him. Anyway, one day it was time to go and feed the ducks in the park. It was supposed to be a treat out. I was taken to the park where my mother was waiting yeah. and I was never allowed back. I was never given chance to say goodbye to my brothers. Oh. And I, I came back once and tried again. By this time the father was staying with another lady. Uh, we were going to try and all live together. She had two children and there was four of us. Yeah. But the stepmother decided that she couldn't cope with six children. So the best thing to do was to get rid of the girl. Oh. So I was 13. Um, and I'd gotten friendly with one of the boys from my eldest brother's thinking it was a friend yeah I'd gone babysitting knock on the door and a friend came and he said my brother had sent him yeah make sure I was all right and there again I was raped again oh. I ended up pregnant I couldn't tell anybody yeah because my brother might have thought it was me oh so I was sent to live with my mum yeah. again. My mum didn't know I was pregnant. They didn't know I was pregnant until the night I went in hospital oh. in Gateshead. 
and I went into hospital, I had a little boy and the police were brought in and I don't give the police any names because it might come back on my brother. Yeah. So they couldn't do anything and um, I came home and I got a visit from this so-called father was supposed to be one um, and my brother John and my mum had said he knew all the time that I was pregnant but nobody knew Yeah. but they went the separate ways and my mum ended up adopting my son yeah. with her new husband uh, he took over his name and uh, 12 months after that I ended up in a working girls hostel uh, because I couldn't obviously cope with it but I didn't know what to say yeah uh, I started off downstairs in the children's home and then as I got a job they put you up into uh, bed sits yeah. with a, a shared kitchen and that was teaching you to stand on your own two feet yeah now I couldn't afford to have a bed sit outside of that so therefore I went into catering yeah um, and living yeah so I ended up up in Scotland and never thought about my mother or anything and then I got back in touch with her why I don't know uh, and I met a, another man and he I had a daughter to him but he went away to work yeah to Amsterdam and never come back oh. uh, so I was bringing this child up on my own when I met the next man yeah now the next man I married yeah until he went off with another woman but he couldn't tell me I had two children to him and he, he couldn't he didn't have the guts to tell me that he didn't want me yeah. but nobody else was to have me so he tried strangling me and kicked seven barrels of shit out of me at the bottom of the stairs and he did it in front of my kids now my daughter Rachel ended up being fostered yeah. because she was more of a perpetrator right. because she saw what was going on with me yeah. so she had to overrule me oh. and I couldn't cope. Yeah. She accused me of beating her up yeah. um, and I didn't. Yeah. It was a dog that had jumped over from the back of the van to the front of the van. Social services were brought in, but it was just another setback. Yeah. But my husband had another woman. Oh. So my mum ended up coming to uh, Brad, well, it was Shipley. Um, because I'd taken an overdose. I couldn't cope. 
and when I did wake up there was a, a sort of look down on you from the nurses yeah um snidey looks yeah and, Judging, I, yeah. and I walked out of Bradford Royal Infirmary yeah jumped in a taxi in my nighty yeah and got them to take me back home and my mother was absolutely blazing because I'd done that and they didn't know yeah. Uh, until my mum rung up there had gone missing said oh. that they thought she'd gone out for a smoke <laughs> but that wasn't the point Yeah. Uh, I coped with that and I always swore I'd never take an overdose again Yeah. because of those nurses Yeah. then I met another man and I was there was this man for 31 years and for 31 years he's pecked at my brain. I weren't allowed to go out, I weren't allowed to have friends. And um, for the two years previous, I was laid in bed one night and I was asleep obviously. And I woke up and he's there on his hands and knees and he's bringing his fists into the pillar. I'm sick of this I never get any effing sleep and he's I woke up and I said what's wrong what's wrong he says you fucking snoring I says well you don't have to worry about that again I got out of bed and for two years I slept on my dining room floor oh. and I had a daughter living with me then yeah I mean I had my other two daughters, one went out to work one Saturday and never come home, and the other one left one weekend when my mum were there. But they didn't see any of this. Yeah. It was done discreetly. Yeah. But through what I've been through, I was very aware and very overprotective. Yeah. of my girls yeah you would be um, because I didn't want the same thing to happen to them yeah. and when it all came out and I told my mum that I'd been raped by my father and raped from my boyfriend from Your my brother's, brother's friend. friend yeah and I'd said I said that all she was concerned about was, you sure it's not your father's? Oh. Sure Thomas wasn't? Yeah. After I'd told her I'd been raped by him? Yeah. Um, I mean, my mum was, she called a spade a spade. Yeah. But she had no time. Although I did everything I could for her. Yeah. She had no time for me. I was fat, I was ugly, I had slanty eyes. Um, there was always something wrong with me. Now, my mum died, and I had this out with her before she died. Yeah. And she says, well, I know I've got a favourite. Oh. And that was the eldest boy. Yeah. Um, and I says, but I do everything for you. So I don't ask for anything in return. Yeah. 
I says, I've never asked you to stick up for me or anything. I mean, I was in junior school. Yeah. And we used to have blackboards then. Yeah. And the teacher put a crossword on the on the board. And he put the questions down the side. And one was an Nancy's nickname, four letters, lump. Oh. And of course, the whole school then took the mickey out of you. Yeah. And I got up and walked out of the classroom and I walked out of school. But yeah. then, Grandma took me back and I got into trouble and he didn't. <laughs> so they'd condoned. Yeah, the behavior. No, it's not until um, I went to this last one for 31 years and the final straw was you'd be doing something outside and a lump of wood would hit you. But it'd be your fault for standing there. You'd fall down the stairs. You're all the stupid bitches under the sun. Yeah. Because you weren't looking. But it doesn't matter that you'd been asking him for two years to put an handrail up. <laughs> oh. But it was your fault. Yeah. And it was always my fault. Oh. And he used to say the neighbours, you weren't allowed to talk to them. And it was real, you weren't allowed to go out. Yeah. You went shopping but you were only allowed to go down the aisles, that you needed something. And he'd stand there and wait for you. Um, because they shows you up all the time. Yeah. But in front of his friends, it was absolutely fine. Yeah. He used to make me go in the car and go to work with him. And he used to have to sit in the car. While he was at work all yeah. day? Oh my God. Because then he knew where I was. <gasps> and... Um, he used to say, you loopy you, you loopy you. And he used to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if any, but he was very, he was angry at everything. Yeah. Shouting ball at the TV. Yeah. You weren't allowed to watch a programme yeah. unless he liked it. I mean, one Sunday, he put the American Civil War on and laid on the settee on the control and went to sleep all day. You were only allowed one television on. You couldn't have the other one on in the dining room because that was wasting money. Um, Controlling every aspect of yeah. your life. Yeah. And if you go anywhere, like if I was going to, let's say the doctors, mm. and how long are you going to be? <sighs> and he'd know the exact times, how long it'd take you to get from A to B and back again. And he'd check the mileage. <laughs> so anyway, this particular day I said I need to go. I don't know what triggered it. I need to go to the doctors. My knees are bad. And I went to the doctors and it was an evening. Yeah. And I went in and he had a young student and I don't know what that student thought of me. And I just says, I'm having problems with my knees again. And he says, right or? He says, well, look, the painkillers. He says, you all right? I says, yeah, I'm fine. It's just my knees. And uh, he just asked how I were doing in general. I'm saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I got to the door and the doctor said, are you sure you're all right? Oh. And I just, I broke down. Yeah. 
totally broke down. Yeah. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm worried about people sat in there. <laughs> anyway, the doctor says, talk to me. And when I told him, he said, you need to get out. Yeah. And I'd already spoke that just before that, and I've said, I just feel as I shouldn't be here. Oh. And he says, you're talking about suicide? I said, yeah. He says, you're not taking tablets, are you? I says, no, I, says, I won't take tablets. He says, why is that? Cause I said, because I woke up last yeah. night. Oh. He says, how are you going to do it? I says, I've got a gal in the peril and a horse piping gal. Oh. And I was horse ready for doing it that night. <laughs> and he says, I'll get you help. I promise I'll get you help. And he did. Oh. And he put me through. The next day he was on the phone and he got me through to DVS and he says, please don't do it. I won't, I won't, I won't. I went home and of course then he started running and raving. Well, what's he done for you this time? I says, Fine, he's just up my painkillers. Well, it took an effort, a long time oh. for you to say that. I says, he just wanted to go through my meds. Uh, he says, yeah, can have me on you. I says, I'm not. I says, ring him up and ask him. Well, you know damn well, I won't ever tell me anything. And I says, well, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, put me through to DVS. And they helped me. Um, and I got out of there. They, they took me to a programme called Freedom Programme. Yeah. And I think it was the second week of the Freedom Programme. And when I could tick every box that were on that sheet, yeah. it was time to get out. Yeah. And from there, they helped me get a home. Yeah. And... They didn't want anything in return. Oh. And like today, I don't carry a gallon of petrol anymore yeah. or a hose pipe. I have my ups and downs. I still suffer from depression. Yeah. I still have an absence of brain um, because I keep flitting from one to the other in my brain and yeah. I forget where I am. But if I can help one person by telling my story, and it, well, it's not a story, it's my life, yeah. then it's all good. Oh. I have been, I'll have been, I'll have done something with my life and I'll have proved every one of them wrong. Oh. That I'm not useless. No, you're not. And. I no longer want to be used. I just want to be me. Yeah. And if that means being on my own for the rest of my life, then that's where it'll be. Yeah. I've got my girls back, I've got my grandkids. Oh. And everything. But they saw what it was like. Yeah. My daughter, she housed me for eight weeks and I slept in a bedroom with her seven-year-old boy. Yeah. And without her, I wouldn't be here. And she knew, 
and she said that she'd seen it coming. She actually saw the other, uh, the perpetrator, there was a van park up, yeah. they parked up the wrong way and the perpetrator went out and was going to set about him with a hammer and even she said, you need to get out. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad you did. But the only other thing I'd like people to know, ladies to know, or men, that it's the hardest thing to do is to ask for help. Yeah. But it isn't, it's the strongest thing you can do. It and is. I'm living proof of that. The road isn't easy. It's hard being vulnerable. It is. But they teach you to be strong. Yeah. And they let you be you oh. again. And that's all you needed, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh. And I'd just like to thank you for listening. Oh, I'd like to, to thank you for sharing your life yeah. with us, Nancy. And it's so you've you know you've come out of the other side and you've looked all your adversaries and problems in the in the face and the first time I saw Nancy she was performing the vagina monologues um, with a group of the surviving sisters and you took my breath away watching you because you was real and you could see the story and journey with you and I hope that the rest of the people who are listening, all the women out there can take not your story away but take the strength and just the sheer damn force of your Nancy that has like overcome everything in your life to be where you are today, helping other women, being a volunteer, making giving a platform to women who don't have one and just being there as a shoulder to cry on, you know, you're making the difference now every single day. And the thing is, even three years down the line, I know if I'm ever in trouble or I'm feeling at my lowest, there is always somebody there to talk to, always, at the other end of the phone. That's why organisations like this are so important. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much.